Hey everyone, welcome to Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. My name is Jarrett Webster, I'm the host. Uh, first off, uh, a couple things. Just uh, wanted to say thank you to everyone who has been listening and who is listening. Uh, it really means a lot to me. Uh, I would do this if it was just my wife listening, which is basically what I thought was going to happen when I started this. But there's been uh, quite a few more people, and so that has been really cool to see. And so I'm just pretty overwhelmed with by the response and really just grateful for you and, and listening. So because there's been uh, many more listeners than I originally anticipated, um, I've had some discussions with a few people who have listened and just come up with an idea. So I created a Facebook group, and it is called Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. Um, it's a closed group that you can request access to. Uh, for now, there's not gonna, a whole lot going on um, in there. My plan is that I'll be posting throughout the week uh, different quotes from, uh, the, the come, from Come Follow Me, quotes that are relevant to that week's studies um, and things like that that go along with kind of the, each, each episode. Um, and then it'll also be a place where we can have a discussion and we can all ask each other questions and learn from each other. Uh, it's just started up right now and there's not very many people in there. Got 15 or 20 people in there right now. Um, like I said, not a lot going on. It might take me a couple weeks to catch up to doing that regularly, but it would be awesome if you guys want to join, if, um, and we can, so that we can all just kind of have a place to have a group discussion. So uh, I just wanted to start with that, with thank you, and to let you know about this additional resource that I am, um, I am creating. And then uh, let's dive right into this week. This week we're going to be talking about First Nephi chapter 11, uh, chapters 11 through 15. So just kind of an outline of what we're going to go through today. Uh, Nephi prays to have the same uh, type of vision that his father had. He does have that vision. He is taught a lot of what the symbolism uh, behind the dream and vision means. He, uh, in that vision, he sees kind of the, the, the future events of the world, um, sees Christ, sees the crucifixion, sees his people uh, fall, fall away. Um, he sees... Uh, the he sees Columbus and the and come to the promised land and the, and the Americas. Uh, he sees the restoration and uh, events of the second coming. And then uh, at the end of this week's reading in chapter fifteen, he kind of after he's had his dream and his vision, he comes back to to where the, his family's camping um, and living at the time. And his brothers Laman and Lemuel are arguing about what their father Lehi had uh, shared with them about his dream and they didn't understand it. And so then Nephi takes some time to uh, teach them. So that's, well, that's what we're going to discuss this week. Uh, first of all, so there's a, there's, it's only four chapters, but there is kind of a lot. And so I'm going to kind of go through as much as I can and just want to share some of the things that I found really interesting and intriguing and uh, that I found noteworthy to share with you all. Um, as I've said, it's in, this being a, a weekly podcast, I think it's important that I, for me even, just so that I stay grounded and focused to kind of, you know, reemphasize my purpose so that I can stay close to that purpose. And then it also obviously 
helps as uh, more people are listening so that they can understand kind of where I'm coming from and what I want to accomplish uh, with the podcast. Uh, I try to align my podcast closely to the, the three purposes of the Book of Mormon, but mainly that Jesus uh, is the Christ um, and that he is the Savior of the world. And so I like to try to bring everything back to that point. And then uh, also a main uh, goal of mine through this podcast is to just encourage everyone to study a little more fervently. That's the word I, I've used in the past. And um, put a little, more, a little more effort into your studies, no matter what your effort is right now. Um, finding some way to bring a little bit more to the Lord in your studies because he will reward that tenfold. And as we'll see, it's a great segue actually into First uh, Nephi chapter 11 because Nephi took something to the Lord in his desires to have this vision or dream. And he, the Lord, I mean, exponentially rewarded him. So before we actually get into 11, I want to go back to uh, chapter 10. It's one of the last verses. It's uh, verse 17. And Nephi says, after having heard all the words of my father, I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see, hear, and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost. So he wanted to see, hear, and know the things that his father saw, heard, and knew. And as we go into chapter 11, the first verse, we have him saying that he desired and he believed, and he was pondering. So there's, there was mental effort on the, on the part of Nephi here. Uh, it wasn't just something that he haphazardly thought about one, one time and thought, hey, man, it'd be real cool if I could see the same thing that my dad saw. This is something that was on his mind. He had a desire. He believed that the Lord was able to do it, so he had faith in the Lord. And then he spent time pondering it and thinking about what his father had said. Uh, I think that's a great pattern for us to remember in our life as we seek to know what the Lord wants for us and as we seek revelation from him. Um, There's a price that comes with that. So uh, there's a lot of quotes recently um, from President Nelson about receiving revelation um, but the one that I actually thought of comes from a talk from uh, about four years ago, April 2016. And he was talking, it was in the, the priesthood session of conference. And he was actually talk, so t- then talking to um, the brethren. But I think, I mean, it obviously, what he says applies to everyone in the church, men and women. But I also think that it not only applies to the priesthood, which is what he specifically was talking about, but to Revelation. So first I'll read you what he said, and then I kind of want to spin it a little bit so that it is about Revelation. He said, I urgently plead with each of one of us to live up to our privileges as bearers of the priesthood. In a coming day, only those men who have taken their priesthood seriously by diligently seeking to be taught by the Lord himself will be able to bless, guide, protect, strengthen, and heal others. Only a man who has paid the price for priesthood power will be able to bring miracles to those he loves and keep his marriage and family safe, now and throughout eternity. So he's talking about paying the price. As a matter of fact, the talk is called The Price of Priesthood Power. But I think it applies to receiving revelation, 
that only those who pay the price to receive revelation will be able to receive that revelation. And in a coming day, only those who have paid that price will be able to bless, guide, protect, strengthen, and heal others. And if he goes on, and only those who have paid the price will be able to bring miracles to those he loves and keep marriages and families safe now and throughout eternity. So like I said, he, he was specifically talking about the priesthood, but I think the revelation, and you can go and you can look at the more recent talks he's given about revelation and the importance that we as individual members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, have to receive, how important it is for us to receive personal revelation and how willing the Lord is to give us that, but that there is a price that we need to pay for that. And so jumping into this week, that's the first thing that stood out to me is verse 1 of chapter 11, Nephi paying this price. And um, it, it, it's, it's also interesting because uh, it kind of gives us this blueprint for what that price is, right? And a part of that price is already having faith, believing that the Lord is able to do it for us, that he's able to deliver us, that he's able to uh, reveal things to us. These great revelations and great, great marvelous miracles only come after our faith. Um, you know, we often hear and talk about in the church that faith precedes the miracle. As a matter of fact, that's one of my favorite books by Spencer W. Kimball. It's a collection of his teachings, but he um, talks heavily in there about faith preceding the miracle, that uh, miracles are not to give us faith. They are to confirm and uh, solidify our faith. And that's, so too it is with, with revelation. Revelation and great, uh, great and small revelations that the Lord uses to guide us not really necessarily to build our faith, but it's because of our faith that we, that we have those. That's part of the price we pay. So Nephi, um, the Spirit asks Nephi, do you believe your father? Do you have faith, essentially? And again, it's showing that he, it's, it's not something that's going to build his faith, but it's because of his faith, and then it uh, solidifies his faith. But the Spirit gives him a job after. He says, all right, you're going to see this. And this is verse, in verse 7. He says, all right, you're going to see this, um, what your father said. Behold, this thing shall be given unto thee for a sign, that after thou hast beheld the tree which bore the fruit which thy father tasted, thou shalt also behold a man descending out of heaven, and him shall ye witness. And after ye have witnessed him, ye shall bear record that it is the Son of God. Okay, so he says, you're going to see the dream that your dad saw. You're also going to see a man descending. It's going to be Jesus. It's going to be the Savior. And your job will be to bear record that it is the Son of God. And so it is with us that when we are delivered from our trials and troubles and hard times, or if we, as we uh, are given and revealed uh, things about Jesus Christ that, that confirm our faith and testimony, it is our job, our duty, to share that testimony, to, to uh, bear record that it is the Son of God, to bear record that it was Jesus Christ that delivered us from that trial, that it was Jesus Christ that gave us this revelation, that it arched and bear record of Him. Um, and so just from the very beginning, we get this 
of this chapter that is a pretty amazing revelation. We get this blueprint that we can follow in our everyday life. Um, and, you know, I think that in my life I've gone through some things that have not been necessarily fun, just like everyone else has, you know, hard times. And it's easy to see when you look back how the Lord was working. Sometimes it's harder to see that in, in, in the moment. But when you look back, it's a lot easier to see. And my wife and I have had many conversations about the, the reasons that we've gone through some, some of the things that we've gone through and that it has allowed us to come, become closer to the Savior. But in, in so doing that, it allowed us to reach out and lift other, others and share our testimony and share, uh, share a, a testimony of Christ that we would not have otherwise had if, had we not gone through, had we not paid the price. I guess is a short way to say that. Uh, in in uh, Mosiah chapter 24, I uh, just kind of wanted to point out that this is a pattern of the Lord. Mosiah chapter 24, um, the Lord says, I will, all, I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that you cannot, even, that you even you cannot feel them on your backs. He's talking to Alma and his people, the old, Alma the older, who uh, was in bondage here with his people. Uh, and he, the Lord continued and said, even while you're in bondage, and this will I do that you may stand as witnesses for me hereafter, that you may know of a surety that I, the Lord, do visit my people in their afflictions. So again, he says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm giving you a revelation that I'm going to deliver you. I'm making a covenant with you that when I keep this covenant, you will know that it was me and so that you can stand as witness of me and you can share uh, your testimonies of me. And again, he also says that you may know of a surety. It wasn't something that built, like, I mean, that's a wrong word. It's not something that gave Alma faith. It's something that built upon the faith he already had, it, a surety, that, and that me know of that that ye may know of a surety. Um, and so faith here, Alma's faith and his people's faith preceded this miracle of the Lord. Um, first, this revelation revealing that this was going to happen. Second, and because in the following verse, it, does, it says that it came to pass the burdens which were laid upon Alma and his brethren were made light. So that miracle and then their eventual deliverance um, their faith preceded all of those things. So jump back to now, um, uh, chapter 11. Um, so one thing that sticks out to me as I studied these chapters is that Nephi is the one that gives us these interpretations of the symbols and, and, and things that we know that the word of God, that the iron rod is the word of God from Nephi. We know that the tree of life represents the love of God from Nephi. And this was Lehi's dream originally. I mean, and that's a hard thing to say even originally. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I who's to say whose dream this really was? It's the Lord's vision that he gives to many people, probably. The, the similarities between Lehi and Nephi's dream, obviously, but also between their dreams and visions and uh, John the Revelators from the book of Revelations. And um, so anyway, just... Back to what I was saying, though, that, uh, you know, it's interesting that Nephi is the one that gives us that, and it's not Lehi. Now, obviously, we lost Lehi's writings, 
um, with the whole 116 pages. But we have Nephi in, the, in these small plates here, and he could have written down what his, it had his dad given us the, the explanation. He could have written his dad's word, but he wrote his words and his interpretation that he received. Um, and I think uh, something that's important to note about maybe why that is is because Lehi was concerned about his family. And he in, in chapter 15, uh, verse 27, I think, it says, um, Nephi's teaching his brothers at this point, and we'll get up, up to this when we get to 15, but uh, I said unto them that the water which my father saw was filthiness, and so much was his mind swallowed up in other things that he beheld not the filthiness of the water. And so we see that, you know, Lehi was caught up in other things. He didn't see some of the things, some of the specific details that Nephi did. And, and I think that that's because he was just worried about his sons. He was worried about his family. And he was worried about whether or not they were accessing the powers of the atonement in their life. And whether or not they were communing with Jesus Christ. And in his vision, he saw Laman and Lemuel clearly not doing those things. And so he was concerned about that and worried about that. And so then you have Nephi, who then prays to have the same vision, has it. And now he's the one that is able to see some more of the details and sees, oh, oh yeah, Dad mentioned a, a river. He didn't notice that it was filthy, and this is what it represents. He didn't notice it was filthy because he was thinking about you guys, Laman and Lemuel. And that's um, something that I get out of that and that, you know, I think that that applies to my life and in in, into our lives in that we don't have to see everything all at once and understand everything. The Lord gives us little by little, bit by bit, so long as we are focused on what matters, on our relationship with the Savior, if we have gone to the tree and taken the fruit, if, if we are focused then on beckoning others and if we're focused on our family, the Lord will teach us in due time all the things that he needs to teach us. It's our job to have a focus on him and on our family so that we can be in a position of being worthy of the Spirit so that he can, when we are ready, be given that uh, knowledge. Um, as we go on through uh, chapter 11, um, we notice that the Spirit is the one guiding Nephi. I mentioned in some previous episodes, Nephi and Lehi's dreams can be described using a a Greek word called apocalypse, which is oftentimes given to um, other things, but especially the book of Revelation, as it is an unveiling and uncovering, revealing a revelation, and also that it is this type of revelation where there's a guide. And here we have the spirit uh, guiding Nephi. Um this is a this is a pattern of the Lord in in dreams and visions to uh to us and to 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 prophets um, the way that the Lord communicates with us is in a way that we can understand in isaiah one chapter eighteen or <laughs> isaiah chapter one verse eighteen he says, "Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord He reasons with us." Similarly, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 50, verse 12, he says, Now when a man reasoneth, he is understood of man, because he reasoneth as a man. Even so will I, the Lord, reason with you, that you may understand. 
In 2 Nephi chapter 31, he says, For the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding, for he speaketh unto men according to their language, unto their understanding. So in, we can know that no matter where we are, no matter what our understanding is, no matter our level of, uh, uh, and where we are in our gospel learning, and no matter what our language is, the Lord will speak to us in a way that we can understand. The, 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 the difficulty with that can sometimes be uh, understanding whether it's our own thoughts or the Lord, but that's the reason for that is because oftentimes that's the way the Lord speaks to us, is through our own thoughts, through the, the way that we think, the way our understanding and our language. And so that's a comforting thing to me, that he knows me to be able to uh, say things to me in a way that will be meaningful and impactful to me that I'll understand. Uh, on my mission, my companion and I had been teaching a man um, for, for quite a while, uh, as a matter of fact, that my companion and I that were together at this time, we, uh, earlier in our mission, had gone on splits while our companions, our companions were district leaders or something, and, and they had district leader training or something like that. And so for the day, me and this other missionary were put together. Uh, we came out together, and we were only, had only been out at this time for about two months, three months maybe. And so we were tracting, and we came across... Uh, a man uh, named Rick Williams, and uh, he was interested, and so we talked to him for a little bit. We scheduled an appointment, and then I left uh, because we were we were in the other missionaries' area. Now, about fifteen months later, me and that same elder were now companions and zone leaders in that same area, and uh, we. We're going through our um, records and our, our area book, and we came across that, that guy's name, and I said, hey, did you guys ever teach him? And he said, oh, yeah, we went once, and we talked to him for a minute, but he was busy, and then we could never get a hold of him. I was like, well, let's go back over there. So him and I went over there. We were able to get in. We started teaching him, and now we'd been teaching him for uh, a little while. Um, and in the meantime, I guess another thing to throw in is after we had originally met, his, met him, his wife ended up getting baptized. They were able to teach her, and she got baptized. And so now we go back, and we're teaching him. We're teaching him for a while, and he has all these great questions. He has these questions that we're holding him back. And so the reason I tell this story is the, the, the way that the Lord speaks to me is in a way that is impactful and powerful to me. And my companion and I uh, were, were with Rick, and we were kind of having this lesson and we kind of, we talked about it before that he needed to progress and keep commitment which was his the next his next commitment was he needed to be baptized um we'd invited him several times and he was always never sure but he would continue to read the book of mormon and he was still coming to church and so we kind of just planned to have this lesson with him and then get back together my companion and i and assess what we were going to do and as we were teaching very clearly and distinctly to me, thought, a thought came to my mind. It's, and I remember to this day, the thought was, Elder Webster, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will invite Rick Williams to be baptized right now. My companion was talking, we're talking about something else at the time. And I kind of shook it off for a second and thought, no, that's just me thinking. That's my thought. Like that was like how bold and like that was the way that I think in my head. And the Lord wouldn't like challenge me like that, would he? That's what I was thinking. 
But then it came back. And it was like someone yelling in my... I mean, there was not a voice, but it was like someone yelling in my mind, in my brain, very distinct. And so I actually put my hand out as my companion was talking and and stopped him. A hand gesture like, stop him talking. And I... We invited him to be baptized. And he... Rick broke down crying and basically said he didn't know if we were ever going to ask him again because we'd asked him so many times. And he said yes. So the point is, the Lord speaks to us in a way that we can understand and that is impactful because he gives light unto the understanding. And that's what, you know, the, the point of Nephi having this guide throughout chapters 11 through 14 is so that he would understand because it, would, it was going to be pointless for him to have this vision if he couldn't come out of this dream and be able to share it with other people. He needed to be able to understand. And that's the way it is with us. And, and that's the way the Lord operates with all of us. So as we continue through chapter 11, uh, Nephi, the, the Spirit asks Nephi, uh, do you know, it says, knowest thou the condescension of God? Do you know about God? Jesus Christ, Jehovah, condescending. And Nephi says, no, I don't. And his, his response is, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. So Nephi says, look, I don't know everything, but I know he loves me. And I want to posit to all of you that that's, that's the foundational point. If you don't know anything else, know that first, that God loves you. And if... If our kids don't know anything else other than that as we teach them, help them know that God loves them. Missionaries, as they go out, the first principle of the first lesson, though the first lesson is about the restoration, but the first principle is that God is our loving Heavenly Father. He loves us. He weeps with us when we're sad and rejoices with us when we are happy. It's the first thing. And it's this foundational principle that unlocks this, the rest of this vision for Nephi, really. Because he starts with that. And, and I want to just kind of say, too, that it, Nephi, Nephi didn't know everything. And that's okay. We don't have to know everything. But there are fund, foundational principles that, that we do need to, to try to understand. And that starts with God loves us. So he then goes on to show him, the Spirit shows Nephi that, uh, the tree, and he says, Knowest thou the meaning of the tree? And Nephi says, Yea, it is the love of God. So it starts with him asking, Do you know about the condescension of God? And Nephi saying, No, but I know he loves the world. You know, I know he loves me. And then he starts to see some things, sees the tree, and then he puts these two together, and he realizes, Oh, the tree is the love of God. And so... Then, as we continue reading, and you get to the, near the end of 1 Nephi 11, in, chapter, in verses 32 and 33, it says, And it came to pass that the angel spake unto me again, saying, Look, and I, beheld, and I looked and beheld the Lamb of God, and he was taken by the people. And the Son of the everlasting God was judged of the world, and I saw and bear record. And I, Nephi, and I, Nephi, saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. Now I'm going to tie this back into the tree being the love of God, and how important it was that Nephi had that foundation of knowing that God loves the world. John, who just so happens to be the, the revelator that gave us the book of Revelation, um, wrote, right, that 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God's love, what does it, what does it lead to? It led to him giving his son. It leads to the love of God, leads to Nephi seeing that the son of the everlasting God was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. The love of God led to the atonement of Jesus Christ. And Lehi partaking of it in his dream and us partaking of it in our life, what is that? Well, that's us accessing the powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's us entering into and walking down the covenant path and staying on the covenant path so that we have full access to the power of Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that that matters. That's the only thing. And as we go through, you'll see that in the end, Jesus wins, and Nephi's going to kind of point that out to us. Um, But he wins because of his power, and his followers win because of his power, because of the atonement. And that's because of the love of God. Something else just worth, that's really cool, I think, to, to point out is, Remember, Nephi wanted to see and hear and know. And all throughout this, you'll, you'll notice the, the Spirit talking to him, so he's hearing, and then the Spirit drawing his attention to see something. He's seeing and hearing. And then between the two of seeing and hearing, he's, the Spirit's kind of guiding him and then sometimes direct, directly teaching him. But oftentimes it's Nephi coming to these conclusions and, and, be, and saying, oh, I'm putting the, oh, I get it now. And so he's seeing, hearing, and knowing. And it's this process that the Lord used uh, uses to teach us um, and to teach Nephi. And it's, I mean, I, I, really, I just really love, it's really cool because we just barely studied the book of Revelation. Um, and so I, it's top of mind kind of for me that there's a lot of similarities between um, the, the, these, these experiences. Um, I mentioned that Nephi was going to teach us that in the end Christ wins, and he does that at the end of chapter 11, he says, And it came to pass that I saw and bear record that the great and spacious building was the pride of the world, and it fell, and the fall thereof was exceedingly great. And the angels of the Lord spake, and the angel of the Lord spake unto me again, saying, Thus shall be the destruction of all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people that shall fight against the, tw- the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And that's one of the main themes of, the, of what Nephi's vision is and what the book of Revelation is about, is that in the end, there is going to be a judgment, and in the end, Christ wins, overcomes Satan, overcomes the world, and those who are with him also overcome Satan and overcome the world. As we move into chapter 12, I do want to point out just that uh, a study, even briefly, of the book of Revelation, again, while you study this, would be really cool and and helpful. Um, Chapter 13 goes right along with chapter 14. So chapter 13 in the book of Revelation goes along with 1 Nephi 14 pretty, pretty well. Um, chapters 5 and 6 and 7, uh, 21 uh, of the book of Revelation especially, those ones uh, are, are pretty closely related to Nephi's vision here. Um, and one thing that is noticeable to me that is a, it's really cool because it's like clear that they had the same vision is uh, John... Lehi and Nephi's use of uh, this phrase, Lamb of God. Uh, In Revelation chapter 5, it says in verses 5 and 6, And one of the elders saith unto me, John, Weep not, 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the spirits of, of God sent forth into all the earth. So, first, he, someone says, so he hears, Hey, look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. So now he turns to look, and he's probably expecting to see some great warrior or a lion, because the voice said, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. But what he turns and sees is he sees a lamb representing Christ, as though it, as though, uh, it had been slain. So in the Book of Mormon, the phrase Lamb of God is found in that exact, that exact phrase, Lamb of God, is found 36 times. 28 of those times are between 1 Nephi's 10 and 14, which is a combination of Nephi and Lehi directly after, or descri- after their dream or dis- while they're describing their vision that they had. 28 of the 36 times are from them right after having this vision. Clearly they saw what John saw. They saw the Lamb of God. They saw the atonement of Jesus Christ represented and what it meant to the world and what it meant to them, what it meant to their people. Nephi saw a lot of things that really pertain mainly to his, his seed, the Nephites and the Lamanites. Um, but it still is this it, the central theme is about Christ and his atonement. Um, and so in chapter 12, uh, we read that um, for because of their faith in the Lamb of God, their garments are made white in his blood. Uh, President John Taylor said, it is not enough for us to embrace the gospel and be associated with people of God, attend our meetings and partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and endeavor to move along without much blame of any kind attached to us. For notwithstanding all of this, if our hearts are not right, if we are not pure in heart before God, if we have not pure hearts and pure consciences, fearing God and keeping his commandments, we shall not, unless we repent, participate in these blessings about which I have spoken and of which the prophets bear testimony. He's talking specifically, by the way, about being washed clean through the blood of the Lamb. And so he tells us, we, we can go through all the motions and go to church and even live, be good people. And, he, and like one thing that stands out to me, he says, and... Uh, and endeavor to move along with mal- without much blame. Like We could be like good people, but what really matters is having faith in Jesus Christ, repentance, and walking down the covenant path because that's what gives us access to being washed clean in the, through the atonement of Jesus Christ. In uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, John says this very similar thing, and I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which uh, came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's through Jesus Christ that we, can, that we are made white. And um, I mean, sometimes scriptures can be hard to understand, and the book of Revelation is up there, and Nephi's vision and things and all the, all the things that he saw and all the interpretations. But if we can just focus and understand on the central theme and work out from that, that God loves us, and so he gave his son, and the atonement the power of Jesus Christ's atonement is, is the power that can heal us and make us clean and make us whole, then all of the other things kind of start to fall in line. 
And that's, like I said, that's kind of where Nephi started. Nephi started with just this understanding that God, God loves, loves him and loves the world. And then things just kind of started to fall in line for him and he, as he, as he uh, went throughout the, the vision. Okay, as we move into chapter 13, Nephi talks about a great and abominable church. It's important to point out that um, no single known historical church, denomination, or set of believers meets all the requirements for the great and abominable church. Um, this, that came, that, what I just, that quote I just read comes from uh, the Institute Manual. And uh, basically, I mean, um, Elder McConkie says it said a similar thing, just that any philosophical or political or educational system or view that are designed to take men on the course that lead away from God and his laws and thus salvation in the kingdom of God it can be, is, is this great and abominable church. It's not some single entity. Um, but what happens is these viewpoints, these doctrines of men, and there are, I mean, individuals and groups of people that came together and uh, a lot of things were changed and lost, and that's what Nephi talks about in, in chapter 13. Um, he talks about in uh, verse 8, Behold the gold and the silver and the silks and the scarlets and the fine twined linen and the precious clothing and the harlots are the desires of this great and abominable church. So he says, you know, that's the focus of the, these worldly things. In chapter 17 of Revelation, I just come, I'm sorry, I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth here, just... I think it's really cool to tie these things together. Um, you get this, these two witnesses. And I mean, what John says and, uh, is, and upon her forehead was written, mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of earth. It's almost the exact same words that Nephi uses to ex- describe um, this, what's going on, the, these worldly desires. And what, what, is, the, what is the world and the, the doctrines of men focused on? When the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness. And that's exactly what, you know, the angel said to Nephi is that these, these worldly things, that's where, their fo- where the focus is. Um, and that because that focus and because they want to, and because the, the Satan who, you know, that's what, another thing that Nephi teaches us is that um, in chapter 14, he says there's, there's in the end of the, at the end of the day, there's, save two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God and the other is the church of the devil. So, like I said, this isn't an, an actual entity when we're talking about the, this great and abominable church, but it, it is the church of the devil. It's being guided by him. And um, he, his goal is to, to blind the eyes and, and not, you know, Nephi wanted to see, hear, and know. And if that's what the Lord wants for us, then, you know, Satan's desire is for us to be blind, to be deaf, and to be dumb and not know, right? And so what did he do? Well, Nephi sees in chapter, in verses 23, um, still in chapter 13, uh, 23 through 28-ish, he talks about the, this, but he sees a book that the Gentiles are walking around with, and the, and the angel, the spirit asks him, hey, what, is, what do you see? He says, I see a book, I don't know what it is, though. And the angel, uh, spirit, I keep saying angel, but spirit. The spirit says, well, it's like the brass plates, save there are not so many revelations. Nevertheless, they contain the covenants of the Lord. And the angel said unto me, 
thou hast beheld uh, that the book proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew, and when it proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew, it contained the fullness of the Lord, of the gospel of the Lord. So he says at one time this had the full the fullness of the gospel. And well, what, what got taken out? 20, verse 26. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. So let's go back to a purpose of the Book of Mormon is to uh, show the covenants that the Lord has made to the house of Israel so that they may know that they are not cast off. I, it's my thought that, and belief that the, Satan knew he couldn't destroy all of the records, but what he could do is put it into the mind of one person or one group of people to change this, tweak that, leave this out. Um, and so then as things are compiled and put together, suddenly you're missing important things. And now if he could, and if in him, coming from Satan's perspective, if he could just destroy some of the covenants, remove them, tweak them a little bit so that people didn't know about them or didn't know the fullness of them, that would really put a a damper on hope because hope is an abiding trust that the Lord will fulfill his promises to us. And if we don't even know what promises he's made to us through covenant, then how can we have that hope? And if we can't have hope, then how can we have faith? And if we can't have faith, let's circle back around to what I was saying earlier, then we, will never, we, can't have, we won't see miracles to, to confirm our faith. And if we don't have those miracles and those deliverances, then we can't have a witness to, sh- to bear witness to others. And so by taking out the covenants, it really puts things in disarray. And it's where you get um, the dark ages. And it's where you get... Uh, enlightened men like um, Martin Luther and, uh, and, and men of the Reformation starting to recognize, like, something's not quite right here. Let's try to reform this. And then that obviously precipitated and necessitated the restoration of these covenants of the fullness of the gospel. And, and Nephi kind of explains that in, in verse 29. He says, um, that because of the man, many plain and precious things which have been taken out of the book, which were plain unto the understanding of the children of men according to the plainness which is in the Lamb of God, because of these things which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, an exceedingly great many do stumble, and so much that Satan hath great power over them. And so it's, you know, you take away those, those plain and precious things in the covenants, and he, he was able to blind a lot of people and have power over their hearts. Um, as we continue in chapter 13, um, Nephi sees Columbus, and he sees uh, the foundation of, of America. And it's really cool because you see that Columbus was guided by revelation. And uh, President Benson, quoting Columbus, said, our Lord unlocked my mind, sent me upon the sea, and gave me fire for the deed. Those who heard of my enterprise called it foolish and mocked me and laughed. But who can doubt but that the Holy Ghost inspired me? In his reports to the sovereigns of Spain, Columbus repeatedly asserted that his voyage was for the glory of God and the spread of the Christian faith. Properly do we honor him for his unyielding strength in the face of uncertainty and danger. Um, so you get Nephi seeing. Columbus and the formation of America, 
Why is that important? Because he's gonna he's seeing the history of the, the, the and it's history to us, but also future events to him, and he sees future events for us as well. But he's seeing this the events of the world, right? And he saw the great and abominable church kind of destroy things and the, and the apostasy. So to bring hope back to his people and to us. He shows that, look, the Lord has made a covenant that Israel will be gathered. And a part of that gathering is that this guy is going to go out and he's going to find the promised land where we, we are, speaking as Nephi. He's going to find this promised land and a great nation is going to be formed. And uh, as why is that important too to us is that Elder Hells said over a century later, uh, after the discovery of America, such religious feeling guided founders of the new nation on the American continent. Under God's hand, they secured religious freedom for every citizen with an inspired Bill of Rights. So, 1776, uh, Declaration of Independence. 1791, the Bill of Rights is ratified. 14 years later, the Prophet Joseph Smith was born. The preparation was nearing its completion for the restoration. This new land that Columbus would go out and find, and all, he wasn't the first, but he was the one guided by the Spirit to find the Promised Land, to build, a for, to form, eventually formation of, of a nation where freedom of religion would, would thrive and prosper. A place where a prophet of God could be killed and though he would be mocked and spit upon and tarred and feathered and eventually killed. A place where he would live long enough that the Lord could work through him to restore his truth. To restore the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring back the priesthood on the earth. It's my feeling that had that happened at any other time in any other nation, Joseph would not have lived long enough for the restoration to be complete. He wouldn't have lived long enough to, 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 to uh, translate the Book of Mormon for the Lord to restore the priesthood through him. And though I said he was eventually martyred, he lived long enough that the Lord could work through him and chisel out of the mountain a stone that would uh, roll forth. At the end of chapter 13, uh, verse 40, we, Nephi writes to us, and it's a great example of, kind of, of the many places where the authors of the Book of Mormon, whether it be Nephi or Mormon or other authors, um, summarize like, hey, this is why this is happening, and this is a purpose of the Book of Mormon. Ready? And he says, uh, which shall make known the plain and precious things which have been taken away from them, and shall make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father and the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto Him or they cannot be saved. So the plain and precious things, the covenants are going to be restored. That's the purpose of the Book of Mormon. And that Jesus is the Christ. As we move into chapter 14, um, verse 1 it says, And it shall come to pass that if the Gentiles shall hearken unto the Lamb of God in that day, he shall manifest himself unto them in the word and also in power and very deed unto the taking away of their stumbling blocks. Well, why are they stumbling? Let's go back to chapter 13, verse 29. It's because the plain and precious things were taken away and exceedingly great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that they, uh, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. So we have this great juxtaposition here. If you combine chapter 13, verse 29 and uh, compare it to verse 1 of chapter 14, the Lord is saying in, in chapter 13, it's they're going to stumble because they don't have the plain and precious things. 
And then in verse 14, or chapter 14, the Lord says, I'm going to take away their stumbling blocks so that they don't stumble anymore, and I'm going to manifest in, in power. Well, in, in verse 29 of chapter 13, it was Satan that had power over them. So by re- restoring the covenants and the ordinances of the gospel, the Lord is able to show forth his power to us, remove our stumbling blocks so that we can follow Jesus Christ on his path. Section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants uh, says, And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the keys of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the keys of the knowledge of God. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. How has God manifest himself unto us? It's through the ordinances of the gospel and through making covenants with him that we um, see his hand and his power and he removes those stumbling blocks. He gives us, I mean, we think about, think about the endowment in the temple. We're endowed with knowledge. That knowledge removes stumbling blocks. All right, so now I'm going to kind of combine a few verses for you and jump. It's going to, I'm going to go from 1 Nephi chapter 14, verse 2, 5, 8, 14. Uh, these have a common theme, and uh, it's as the Spirit is teaching Nephi, and he's asking him questions. He's kind of pulling his mind towards the house of Israel. So he says, they shall be numbered among the seed of thy father, yea, they shall be numbered among the house of Israel, and they shall be blessed people upon the promised land forever, for they shall be no more brought down into the captivity, and the house of Israel shall no more be bound. There's a covenant that gives you that can give you hope. Uh, speaking to me, Nephi, saying, Thou hast beheld that if the Gentiles repent, and shall be, it shall be well with them, and thou knowest concerning the covenants of the Lord unto the house of Israel... And thou also hast heard that those who repenteth not must perish. And it came to pass that when the angel spoke these words, he said unto me, Rememberest thou the covenants of the Father unto the house of Israel? And I said unto him, Yea. So he's just given him some of the covenants. He just told him that they would not be lost, and that if you repent, you're a covenant, part of the covenant people, and that they would no more be brought down in captivity. And then it says, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church. Of the Lamb of, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who are scattered upon all the face of the earth, and they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. Our covenants, being a, which make us a part of the house of Israel, but it's our covenants, arm us with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory, because it is through our covenants and through the ordinances of the priesthood that the power of godliness is manifest, and it's manifest in our life. So as we get to the end of chapter 14, uh, Nephi kind of wraps up the vision and says, I saw, um, the angel said to me, the spirit said to me, I'm going to see some more things, but he told me I couldn't write them. This other guy who's an apostle, John, it was his job to write the rest of it. So what I have written is true, even though I haven't, I'm not going to write everything that I saw. And so then he comes back and he's in, in chapter 15 and he's pondering about these things and he comes back and his brother we're disputing. So he comes back to this scene. He's had this really spiritual experience. He gets back to this scene, and now uh, you can under, maybe understand a little bit more why he may feel a little exasperated, because he just come from this spiritual, spiritual experience. He comes back to his brothers who are just disputing, trying to understand. And he says, for uh, he truly spake many great things unto them, Lehi, which were hard to be understood, save a man should inquire of the Lord. And they being hard, 
in their hearts. Therefore, they did not look unto the Lord uh, as they ought. So, man, just so many great things to learn. I, lo- I, love, I love Nephi and Lehi, and I love this, fa- this family and, and the lessons they teach us. Nephi doesn't immediately say, like, I mean, he does. He ends up going and teaching them and saying, look, you should have asked. But he says, they didn't look unto the Lord as they ought. Having the questions wasn't a problem. That's not a problem. Having a question isn't a problem. Doubting is a different story. But questioning, the Lord never says, don't question. So in Doctrine and Covenants section 6, he says, look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. And so Nephi's point was not that they had questions, but it's that they didn't look to the Lord, right? And that's kind of a core difference between Laman and Lemuel and Nephi, is that it's not that Nephi didn't ever have questions. Nephi had questions all throughout the story as we, as we read. Um, uh, he, he started in, in chapter 2 of 1 Nephi. That he, his, it said the Lord came to him and softened his heart. He had a question he wanted to know. He, didn't, he had a question about what his father saw. He had a question about where to go hunt. We'll get to that in the, in the next week in, in chapter 16. He had questions all the time, but the difference is he, he looked to the Lord and didn't doubt or fear because he was looking at the Lord. He was looking to the Lord. So he's talking to his brothers, and then it says, And it came to pass that I was overcome because of my afflictions, for considering that mine afflictions were great above all. Man, in these chapters, Nephi has taught us some pretty awesome things. Nephi is, I think all of us can agree, was a great guy. He's a great example of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet, in the chapters we're talking about just this week, he admits that he doesn't know everything. He, just, he says, I don't know everything, but I know that God loves me. And now in this verse, he admits that he felt sadness and depression and, was, and discouragement. He was overcome because of his afflictions, and uh, he considered that his afflictions were great above all. And haven't we all felt like that, where our minds are just so swallowed up with what's going on in our life? And then, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but man, then it's those times in my life when Satan picks at me and says, well, hey, look, if you, were, if you were a good Christian, if you were a good disciple of Christ, you would be feeling sad. Like, you'd feel joy all the time. That's what, that's what, you'd feel the joy of the saints, man. So you must, you're unworthy. And Satan picks at it and picks at it. But, man, Nephi felt that way. And if Nephi felt that way, I think it's okay for all of us to feel that way. And you know who else felt that way? Jesus. Um... But the difference is just uh, as Nephi taught us, um, Christ is the great exemplar. That when he was discouraged and was wondering if there was another way, he still looked to his father. He looked to the Lord, doubting not, fearing not. And as we go through our hard times in life, it's okay to have questions, it's okay not to know everything. <laughs> And um, it's okay to be discouraged and downtrodden. When we have questions and if, when, we, when we want to ask if there's an easier way, that's okay. But if we have faith, the Lord will deliver us. And when he delivers us, we'll be able to stand as a witness of his power in delivering us because we will know that it was only by his power that we could be delivered. Nephi continues, and he teaches his brothers, look, 
our seed is going to get the gospel returned to us. That's one of the covenants, and it's going to come from the Gentiles. This is what Dad was, the, part of Dad's vision. This is what's going to happen. Uh, the gathering of Israel is going to happen, and he likens it to an olive tree, which his father had already done. And I think, I think that's really important because Nephi sees, hey, one thing that my brothers didn't understand was this covenant that we were going to be gathered again. And so you get Jacob sharing the allegory of the olive tree from Zenos. You get Nephi and uh, Jacob sharing large portions of Isaiah, which are all about the scattering and gathering of Israel. Uh, it's clearly an important thing that they needed to understand. That's what he, They included that because their people needed to understand that. And I think, personally, I think that Nephi saw that was one of the things that his brothers, Laman and Lemuel, didn't grasp. And so he thought, man, having my people understand this will go a long way into them having hope in Christ and in the Lord. And uh, he tells them a little bit more about the vision of the tree of life and what it, what it means. And uh, Nephi wraps up by teaching his brothers about uh, the judgment and about salvation. And um, again, I wanted to point out just while we're in, since I'm in 50, chapter 15 now, just remember that, you know, Lehi also didn't, didn't understand everything all at once. He missed some things because he was focused on his family. And as, we, as like I said earlier, if, we're fo- if we focus on the right thing, the Lord will, will teach us what we need to know in the timing that we need to know it. Um, and Nephi tells his brothers, um, that they, and as I said unto them, that it was the word of God, it's the iron rod, who, and whoso would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it, they never would perish. Neither could the temptations of the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them under the blindness and to lead them away to destruction. Satan's darts and arrows are flying at us all the time, but Nephi says if we hold fast to the rod of iron, that they cannot touch us. He can't hurt us. Um, in Helam in chapter 3, says, Yea, and we see that whosoever may lay hold upon the word of God, which is quick and powerful, which shall divide asunder all the cunning and the snares of the, and the wiles of the devil and lead the man of Christ in a straight and narrow course across that everlasting gulf of misery, which is prepared to engulf the wicked. It's the word of God, the iron rod, is quick and powerful. It leads us, it guides us, but it also gives us this amazing protection. Um, the world wants to yell things at us and throw things at us, but remember, they're... They're in a building without a foundation. And in the end, it falls. And it can be hard to, to follow Christ, and it can be hard to hold that rod at times. Um, I, I'm thinking of uh, something that C.S. Lewis said. He talked about um, which is easier, following the Word of God or not. And he said, Teachers will tell you the laziest boy in class is the one who works the hardest in the end. They, they mean this. If you give two boys, say, a proposition in geometry to do, the one who is prepared to take the trouble will try to understand it. The lazy boy will try to learn it by heart because for the moment that need, mean, uh, needs less effort. But six months later, when they're preparing for an exam, the lazy boy is doing hours and hours of miserable drudgery over things that the other boy understands and positively enjoys. In a few minutes, laziness means more work in the long run. Or look at it this way, in a battle or in a mountain climbing, there's often 
one thing that takes a lot of pluck to do, but it is also in the long run the safest thing to do. If you flunk it, uh, you will find yourself hours later in far worse danger. The cowardly thing is also the most dangerous thing um, because it's about becoming. It's about the little marks that are, are put on our on our soul. Um, it's not about just going through the motions like President Taylor said earlier. It's about becoming and accessing, accessing the powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ and having our garments made clean through his blood. But that's a becoming process, not a doing process. And it's something that takes a lifetime, but that's what Nephi was trying to teach his brothers is, is that um, we are, we'll be judged for who we become, who we are, our th- um, not just for the things that we did. And the things that we do obviously contribute into who we become, but it's about who we are. And that's what Nephi says in verse in 33, and in, in some other places as well, but he says, if they, uh, wherefore they must be brought to stand before God to be judged uh, of their works, and if their works be, have been filthiness, then they must needs be filthy. It's that, that, that they are filthy, Right? And it's, the converse is true as well, is that if we've followed Christ and if we've walked the covenant path, we'll be clean through his blood, which is what the Spirit was teaching uh, Nephi throughout all this. So there, I mean, man, I had a, there's a lot more I had. Um, I want to wrap the, this, this episode up, though. Um, there's a lot of amazing things in here. And if you have the time this week, I highly recommend reading, uh, like I said, chapters 5 and 6 and 7. Uh, 17 and 21 of the book of Revelation. I mean, obviously, it's quite a bit more reading and things, but it's a great companion study with with Nephi's vision here. Again, thanks everyone for listening. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the feedback. Um, again, if you want to go and try to join that group, uh, I'll go through and I, I'll approve uh, people. It's a closed group. It's called uh, Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey on, on Facebook. Um, you can give me feedback there. We can have discussions there. I'll be sharing more content there. Um, but just thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you uh, enjoy this week's study. It's, um, I'm going to say this pro- pretty much every week. Great chapters. Amazing things to learn. And like, like I've said in the past, my real goal here is just to hopefully encourage people, encourage you all to study the scriptures. Um, all the things that I, that I quote from, um, save perhaps C.S. Lewis, my, my guy, uh, come from uh, prophets and apostles, from church-produced uh, materials. And so there's, there are, these are great materials and things that are readily, access, readily accessible that I just hope that you uh, take the time to go and, and dive a little deeper than you ever have before. And like I said, no matter however deep that is, um, because there are great truths that the Lord is, is waiting to give you when you're ready to pay that price. Thanks for listening, and we'll uh, catch you on the next podcast.